Hello and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we're doing a bit of a drama D. We watched Force Majeure and the American remake Downhill. Jess, have you seen of or heard of these movies before this week? Um, I had not. So first I want to say thank you to whoever responded to our question that we asked on our Instagram. Um, we've been kind of polling listeners and stuff. So if you're not on there, um, we're going to be periodically asking people for recommendations or things like that. So this was the first one that we got and it was actually recommended by two people. But yeah, I had not seen them. I had not heard of them at all. And I'm not like the biggest Will Ferrell fan. So I was like, okay. (laughs) Like, but he's not like typical Will Ferrell in this. So I found it a lot more palatable than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, same. I, so Eric and I have seen the remake. Um, I don't think we knew it was a remake. I think it was just, we just thought it was like a new, like sort of dramedy um, we both really like the direct, or one of the directors and the screenwriter Jim Rash from Community and uh, other stuff. And uh, I mean, granted, Julia Lou Dreyfus is an absolute star, as I'm sure I've said on this podcast before. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that. She was like the biggest draw for us to go see it, and I remember really liking it. I think this was definitely one of the uh, the movies that we saw right before the pandemic hit. Oh, really? So you saw this in theaters? We saw this in theaters, I think, either December of 2019 or January of 2020, somewhere So you were one of the $9 million worth of people that went to see it. (laughs) That sucks. Yeah, we were. (laughs) Well, it it was like a Searchlight production. It was like taken from Sundance and like made its way um it was the first title that disney or that because like fox was bought out by disney and then they rebranded as searchlight pictures or Searchlight productions so it's the first film that was released under that um under that name oh wow congrats good job downhill way to go jim rash omg omg <laughs> but yeah that's my i mean that's my history with it apart from that i i upon knowing that it was a remake similar to like what we did with let the right one in and let me in. It's very similar yeah. where it's like kind of a, a, a remake or an international retelling of uh, an international story from an American perspective. Like several years later, there's not even like much hype around it. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, let's do that story. But let's do the American version. I feel um, like there was more hype around let the right one in or, yeah, or maybe, let me in. Sorry. Because that was more cultish. Yeah, yeah, and that one also happened, I think, a bit quicker too. It was like a just that was like where two this year one was turnaround. like, yeah, and this one was like a six year turnaround, like yeah. from 2014 to 2020. But, That's true, yeah. Um, but, but I think I'm interested to talk about because it is essentially the same story, but um, the ways that they changed it, I'm not. I, okay, let me just. I know the I ways have a lot that they changed it. Too. I have I have a lot to say about it, and like. Um, like the, so, um, right off the bat, you know, that you're getting like kind of a watered down version of it because the story is already, uh, 30, like the original is two hours long and the remake is an hour and a half. Like it's a smooth 88 minutes. So like, okay, cool. But what, like, what are we doing? And, and was my thinking during some of this, I'm like, 
the first one and we're going to get into it in a second but the first one feels so intentional and it's so incredible in the way that it lets this experience happen with like these big giant long shots and then it perfectly illustrates how these characters are feeling and the tension in that with another like with a shot after that and it was even more jarring going to the new one because it was just so it was so quick and there was no um it felt like it was just telling you what it wanted you to know it, there there really wasn't a lot of nuance there so yeah um i'm excited well, to, to be, get into this the biggest difference is same oh my god same because the biggest difference is the tonal shift exactly what you said the first one it is a drama character study about a uh, failing marriage and a shitty husband whereas the remake is like this kind of slow-key slapstick drama comedy about this guy who wants more in his life and you're like what um, well yeah I, and this first one oh, is yeah. like really not even just like a character study but like a gender study on masculinity yes and it is so oh, poignant in the way that yes. they do that so it's so incredible to me. Like I, I'm so what a treat to watch that movie, and then it's great. seeing the the <laughs> remake and how they they pulled some of that back. And um, should we just get into it? Let's Jesus. do it. I'm honestly <laughs> okay, so ready to talk about this. this. And my so brain pumped. is already going. Eva, Thomas, and their two children are vacationing in the French Alps, enjoying some skiing and much-needed time away from work. Unfortunately, things quickly take a turn for the worst when an avalanche crashes into the outdoor restaurant while they are waiting to order their food. During the commotion, Eva stays with her children and tries to protect them, while Tomas grabs his cell phone and runs away without considering his family's safety. Luckily, the restaurant was only covered in avalanche smoke, quote-unquote, and everyone is okay. Though the moment passes quickly, the terrifying experience looms over the family's vacation for the rest of the trip as Eva and Tomas find themselves at an impasse, with Eva insisting Tomas left their children and her to save himself, and Tomas adamant that he did not leave them. The fiction between Tomas and Eva becomes more prominent as Eva continually brings the event up in social situations, recounting the events searching for someone to validate her experience, while Tomas continues to deny the truth of the events even after being presented with video evidence. Eva and Tomas take time away from each other and their children to clear their heads. Eva goes to Charlotte, the polyamorous hotel guest, to try and rationalize her life's choices by putting down Charlotte's. Meanwhile, Tomas goes skiing with his friend Mats, screams at the top of a mountain, gets drunk, and tries to prove his manhood at a real sausage fest. Eventually, Tomas confesses all his sins and breaks down hard. The kids see this and force Eva to comfort him. In the end, nothing has changed and everything stays the same. Okay, I mean, this, is an inc <laughs> this is a fucking incredible movie. It really and before is. Before we really get into it, I want to talk about... Um, so the original title for this was originally supposed to be like Tourist, like with a U. Um, and they changed it to Force Majeure, um, which the definition is, um, according to Wikipedia, thank you, a common clause in contracts which essentially frees both parties from liability or obligation when an extraordinary event or circumstance beyond the control of the parties or sudden legal changes prevents one or both parties from fulfilling their obligation under contract. So that I mean, is so incredible yeah. and so perfect for this whole this whole film what a oh, good yeah. Be what a because good the because the whole thing i mean granted 
first and foremost, a great film. It's really good. Like, I mean, the characters are so so real and intense, and I mean, all of the con- like, it's just such a such a study and the, such an the music movie. cues, the color grading, oh, amazing. the. Um, the scenes like something that i think um american cinema does too much is they just cut away from a scene rather than letting it play out and letting you sit there in the moment you know and really like getting everybody's reaction or like it's such a good way to like build tension too like yeah um the opening scene right they're they're taking family photos you can see how performative they're being you can see that while Ebba loves her children there's some tension there with her and her husband but like you get this real sense of like performativity and like that they're just kind of doing what they're told or what society is telling them to do right oh yeah um which immediately like sets the tone for the rest of the film and like what happens in the climax but then also like with the closing scene too right we have the bus driver is like being is like awful uh Ebba is scared the beardo guy like doesn't panic and Charlotte stays on the train but like it's so like each character and how they respond to this whole event that's happening like Charlotte who is incredible and we'll get into and I love her and I have so much to say um she is really the only one that's free from all of these societal um, expectations, right? And she's just kind of like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be happy and I'm going to do me. And nothing is going to stop me from going forward and being where I want to be and doing what I need to do. And everybody else that is chained down by this, like, by these societal structures and by their attachments to people that are shitty, not shitty, whatever, they all get off the bus and they're all like sad and have to literally walk down a fucking mountain with no jackets, with no luggage, with nothing. I mean, how great is that? Like, it's, I mean, it's after, a great after ending. The, the journey that we go on with this film. Well, because it is such like, like you said in the introduction and nothing has changed because it's really a film about studying this predicament of expectation within these very rigid and very structured gender roles, also parental figures and what it means to be a a caretaker versus what it means to be a partner versus what it means to be a friend. Like you have these specific avenues, especially for this main character, Tomas, because it is kind of a study of like masculinity in the face of adversity. And our main surrogate for this is Ebba. She's like, am I crazy? What the fuck? Like we're, we're with her cause we saw it too, but we're studying him and his reaction and how he's processing and what happened versus what's expected of him and how that's at odds. The ending's perfect for these reasons. It's like the perfect ending again. She's like, I don't even care. My life's going to happen. I'm staying on the bus. Everyone else is walking down the hill structured together in this expectation of like yeah we should have gotten off that bus and nothing is different except now Thomas smokes <laughs> and yeah and which, he's which like, is also he's not trying to hide his um he's not performing uh, he's not any longer him, supposedly supposedly I mean, which we'll i mean see. he's to me he is such a coward so to me that feels that in and of itself I think is supposed to represent this level of like letting go but in the end that by itself looked so performative like fuck mm-hmm. it I'm a man I'm going to smoke like shut up you're so yeah. tiring um, Yeah um he's awful Ta- he's terrible. Uh, Tomas is just like constantly like we watch him gaslight his wife just to her face in front of their children um in every social situation to where like 
Emma just wants validation that what happened happened, that they experienced the same event. And he is like, he's trying to protect his masculinity and his ideal of himself so much so that he's willing to cause a scene and to be an asshole. So it pushes her to like, to really just be like, no, 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 you need to wake up. Like, here we are. This is what happened. And the conversations that they have with Charlotte and uh, then with Matt's and Fanny, uh, the friend and his 20 year old girlfriend. Incredible. Yeah. Those oh, it's scenes so good. and how it's not just like, oh, well, this is awkward. Cut to the next thing. Like, no, they're trying to talk about this and they're trying to rationalize it. And we see Fanny like, let go of her dude's hand. And the second that he starts, um, he starts making excuses for Thomas, right? She lets go of his hand. She's like, nope. And she starts comforting. Um, she starts being there for Ebba. And like... A stranger. Fucking, yeah, a stranger. She's like, no, I, I'm 20 years old. I'm here with this 40-year-old man. Um, you don't know what's happening. And God, Fanny is great. And um, the, the women are written so well in this. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, arguably the men too, because that's like, that is, it's so like, yeah, the, of course this guy would be like, well, you don't know what you would do in the, like, shut the fuck up. Like, so why are you coming to this man's aid? Let's paint the scene for this. Uh, for yeah. everybody's. Uh, I realize that um, a lot of you probably haven't seen this. So, and sometimes um, we go in with zero context and just get deep into something. We're like, wait, what? So in this scene in particular, after the avalanche, Ebba and Tomas are hosting Mats and Fanny, who I think Mats is just one of uh, Tomas's friends that just so happened to be in the same area. So they're kind of like hosting them in their hotel room. And Ebba, who is still like, what a great performance from this actor, like in every scene you can tell how uncomfortable she is and you can tell how much tension uh she is carrying and how how hard this whole experience is for her so it's never a question right and so the husband is just trying to act like this entire time after the avalanche like wherever they're at trying to act like oh everything's fine i'm gonna order food now because see i told you everything was fine and for her to live through that and to have like the person that she cares about and loves and is raising children with to deny what happened and to like not even acknowledge her experience like or the the experience of her children right she is just devastated and she is fucking infuriated because he's choosing his ego over like you know because all he had to do was just apologize this whole time apologize and be like yeah I don't know why that happened but he's like sticking to this rigid ass idea that no I'm a man I'm not gonna do that right it's and yeah so they're at this like little dinner party and Ebba just starts talking about it in the middle of one of Fanny's stories she's like hey we need to talk about this boom brings it up and Tomas starts being like, no, no, I didn't run. Look, you can't run in, in ski boots, okay? Like, just giving, like, the fucking lamest excuses that anybody could ever give in this scenario. Then Matt's comes to Tomas's, like, he's like, oh, I got your back. Yeah, I mean, like, it's fine. He says he believes that the enemy is the idea of heroes and he then goes on to make excuses for survivors that like do terrible things like and sacrifice others to survive. He's like, yeah, no, that's totally normal. Those are the people that live. Like, I mean, it's fine, right? Yeah, it's it's a messy, toxic male thing to do. I think like 
the way they capture this argument is so perfect because the moment he says, can you run in ski boots? Can you run in ski boots? Can you run in ski boots? It is picture perfect of somebody backed into a corner who does not want to admit the wrong. Because that's besides the point, the ski boots running in ski boots. That has nothing to do with the situation. It's this, it's a misdirect to try to get the spotlight off of them. And the way she brings this up just straight up in this conversation, I'm obsessed with. Because also, this is like the second time we've seen in mixed company her try to bring this up and her being gaslit. The first was with Charlotte and that man who she's sleeping with, the random man she meets. And they're at dinner, and that specifically, too, where they start talking in Swedish together, just like, hush, hush, like, I know what I saw. No, yeah. you didn't. You're crazy. No, you ran away. No, I didn't. I didn't run away. This whole thing. And then it brings it up again. And I think it's like seeing that first before this scene just as like a heightening of tension. Like, granted, I have a lot to say about the cinematography in that scene too because the way everything's framed and then the moment after they're done speaking in Swedish, the tension cut is like a happy birthday song going on in the background. Yeah. But you see in the reflection this huge sparkly candle that the reflection ends up landing directly behind his head as a way to signify like the attention's on him. It's still Mm -hmm. tense. Like he's in the hot seat. It's very like intentional and cool. And you're like, fuck, that's amazing. But at the end of the conversation, he kind of just gets off scot-free. He's like, well, it's a difference of opinion. I saw it differently. Can we talk about something else? And she's like, okay. And he tries to say like that your perception is different than my perception. I can accept your version of events. Why can't you accept my yes, version of events? Which is so which toxic. Like, so fucking toxic. It's so messy. So, and so toxic. Then, so then seeing them come into this conversation where she's already been put down. She's already been stewing and festering in this. He's literally just pretending like nothing's happened he's trying his best to perform that and perform ignorance and she is fucked up obviously and rightfully so like she's she's wrecked this is destroying her time every moment she's thinking about this so in that conversation the moment she interrupts the story it's just like i'm talking about this now i'm like yes here we go oh my god you deserve this to the point where like when she finally is like it's on video i have it on video you're recording right Let's get the camera. And he's like, I don't. She's like, will we all watch? Are we good? Are we going to all watch this? Let's go. Yes. Like she has to put him in the hot seat and not just with her there, but with one of his good friends there. Right. Because otherwise he's not going to he's just going to shrug it off or whatever. So this is her way of trying to also hold him accountable. But Matt's instead just like internalizes this whole thing and starts like being like, well, I'm a man. I'm a man. Right. And then he just goes down this also talk like parallel path with fanny yeah it's it's just real gross. it's just it's so and it's so good and even after like the video proof that like you did this story is exactly what she's saying and your version of it does not exist even in the face of that he's still this is where it gets interesting i mean more interesting for me as a study and as a conversation around heroic masculinity and like masculinity and self and how men project what it is that they think that they are when in fact they perform otherwise or exist otherwise mm-hmm. even in that moment he cannot believe it he's seeing it and he's like it's not that he can't believe it he knows it's real but he's still he cannot let the guard down of performance of illusion he can't he's so structured and even then he's like sad and he goes and like leaves with the kid and they're all talking out there and Matt's is still trying to convince 
Ebba that like, oh, you don't know what you would have done in this situation. Like sometimes survival instinct just kicks in and like you just got to go and you don't you can't judge him because you don't know what you would have done. And even in that time, he's just like he cannot revel in it. He can't he can't sit with it. And like because then after that, the next day, she's like, I'm going to go ski by myself. And he's like, oh, OK. Just I'm, like it's. Are you sure? It's and she's obviously day. like, "What the fuck?" And he's just like, "It seems like he's pretending again. He's just like performing this." And then it's just, what an interesting and like cool discussion. Because like even after that, these moments where, when he has his big fucking breakdown in the hallway, where oh he just God. like weeps, and it's just it is this like, <sighs> it makes me so mad. Because it is this like childish helplessness of like weeping where it's like, yeah, sure. I'm glad you recognize like what happened, but now you're making this her problem in the same way that you've made this entire thing her problem. And now she has to like, you are rebuking ownership at every turn. (laughs) Like you can't own your, your, you, you can't own your grief. You can't own your actions. You can't own anything. Everything has to be at the expense and labor of your wife. You are such a bad partner. And to further that, because to me, that's the whole thing. It's like he's a bad partner. And this movie tells yeah. us he's a bad partner at every fucking turn. Like at the beginning, when we're setting that tone with the ambiance and everything, there's a scene where they're on like a conveyor belt. And this is supposed to be a trip that we've established that like he works too much. They're here because he works too much and it's for them to like reconnect. He's not supposed to be on his phone, even though he's on his phone all the time working still. And she's like, hey, remember why we're here? He's like, yeah, sorry. Oof. And he's also a bad dad. The kids don't like him. The kids don't know him oh, yeah. really, right? Like they just don't know who he is. So and he's, he's annoyed to, like, by them. Like he laughs at them for having feelings. Like, oh, they kicked yeah. me out of the room. They they kicked them out of the room because they're upset with their parents because they don't feel safe after that avalanche, right? Because Literally, daddy yeah. made them not feel safe. And like, and the kids know that he left them too, you know? And so they're in like this weird this weird area and he doesn't care he doesn't care about them and he doesn't care about the mom he's just nothing but dismissive about them and in that moment where uh where he's breaking down the most toxic thing about that is like he he breaks down and he's just like absolutely devastated he's crying but like it's a performative cry right it feels oh it's uh, so yeah he is it is one of those ugly cries that you're ugly crying because you feel sad and ashamed at yourself. And he admits that he was scared. And then in addition to that, he admits that he cheats on her and he's unfaithful and he lies a bunch. And so everything comes flooding out, right? And then his excuse is he says, I'm a victim too, a victim of my instincts. So she's supposed to feel bad for him in this moment where he is a helpless little fucking baby on the floor, like, because like, oh, he finally admitted all of this stuff. And can she stay mad at him? Can she do that? Can she have her feelings? No, because the children come in and the children see their daddy crying with no context and no understanding of what's happening. And they just try to comfort him. And he's like, oh, yay, thank you. Thank you. Comfort me. And then they force, they scream at their mother to come and hug daddy, to comfort daddy, to be here for daddy, right? Reinforcing that like the family unit and the way that that exists is just 
continuing to allow like a pass for toxic masculinity and like encouraging and enabling this behavior. So she can't even be pissed in this moment or have questions or do anything. She has to be there for him because the kids decide like, no, 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 you have to do this. You can't. And then you see daddy like put love all of these arms around him and feel so free. Oh my gosh. Right. And I fucking hated that. It's it's gross and it sucks, but I think it's so interesting from a story perspective. Like, yeah, no, that that's it's so it's just like fucking of course, great of beat, course. Great it's a great beat. beat. Like, good, of course that happens. Fuck, that sucks. Fuck, he's getting away with it again. He's doing it again. Here he is. Congratulations. Like, mm-hmm. what a loser. What this, a sad man. This film is incredible incredibly well written like oh yeah even though i'm like oh fuck it like no like this story is so well i don't there was not a, a critique that i had for this there was not like uh, oh well this might have been better it was yeah. just like start to finish just really the good. beats the characterization it's, everything it's like such a it, like it's such a good it's a well-written story and well acted it's almost like a like a really good play like like just this like so uh, it's just Everything about it's good. Like, I mean, a lot of the notes that I have, too, are like, you talked about tone setting at the beginning, the metal wiring as they head up the hill, as they're being pulled up by the handle, how that sounds and how it's a little bit jarring as they hit each um, totem or hit each pivot. Um, The phone buzzing while they nap quietly, trying to invade and distract them from their unity as a family Mm -hmm. and how that's him, his fault. That's his phone. And then like all of the toothbrushes whirring hella fucking loud (laughs) while they're brushing their teeth as this like unspoken hum of 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 sewage, like emotional sewage underneath that everyone can hear, but nobody wants to acknowledge like amazing the cannons in the background the the... cannons in the background literally exploding like there are so many of these tone set shots with no dialogue where it's like this is like (laughs) i mean it's gonna sound silly this is art this is like so good because it's everything is is some kind of like artistic visual metaphor for exactly the study we're we're witnessing exactly what we're going through it's like fucking cool and what i was going to say before like the, the thing that throws it back to the beginning where you see that like his kids don't really like him or know him and he doesn't really know them. They're on that conveyor belt and like the son throws his mitten off and he's like, what are you doing? Stop. And he tries to reach. He's like, ah, Hey babe, can you grab that? And continues. And then you see her struggle off the conveyor belt, almost fall in her skis to try to get this thing Mm -hmm. as this sort of like a visual allegory for her being the one to pick up all the pieces, no matter what. Like this whole thing is happening because of his relationship with his son, but it's like, hey, can you help? Can you fix that? Can you do that? Like, I can't do that now because I'm obviously busy. But it's like the first time he's seen his son in however long. But you need to fix it now. Can you do that? And it's like that setup is like, yes, that's what we're gonna see. That's what this movie is about. This movie was just so great at visualizing feelings and interpersonal communication, like and at conveying that through. What I guess most American audiences would see is just like a throwaway scene, which like really tells everything, you know, like that scene, like the scene where 
they are pissed after the avalanche and they run in the house and everybody like throws their skis down dad has to go and try to pick it up and he's trying to pick up all of these pieces well like nothing and they just keep falling and they keep moving over here and then he just like kind of gives up and he's like whatever i'm just gonna walk away but like that's all like just this one continuous shot right and it's all like and that's something that, like, I feel really adds to the mood of this because you oh. get to sit in these moments. And I feel like the way that that creates tension and the way that, that it drives the story forward and the way that it's just so monotonous but also so telling, like, it perfectly ties back to the thesis. You know what I mean? Oh, I, no, I could not agree more. Every one of those is so good. Like, I'll give you two more examples. When she goes, like, I literally, I have so many examples of this and I, I, i'm obsessed with them because it's so well done she goes skiing alone this is after everything she's still thinking about it all she's on the chair the chair is stopped she's hanging there in the silence of the snow nothing's happening it's just her on the chair as we see slowly you hear the chair start moving and then a chair in the background passes going the other way slowly and then another one a little bit faster and another one a little bit faster as it's gaining momentum as if these thoughts and you see her kind of reacting like Mm-hmm. she's sitting in this stillness and then it's like a thought and another 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 thought and the momentum just builds and you see her kind of getting anxious as this is happening and it's like that's it's brilliant it's, it's fucking so brilliant <laughs> and then in the same situation where she's on that chair she decides to pull the bar down to like keep everyone on it but then you see that there's two other people on it and the bar ends up hitting one of them in the head and they're like what the fuck and she was so in her thoughts with this other thing. There, this is also interesting because it's like, even though in this moment she's so lost in this like being taken advantage of and being shitty based on this guy, this other person's actions, even if he doesn't realize that it's affecting other people, even in that moment, her lack of cognizance does a smaller version of the same thing. She's not realizing that her action of pulling the bar down is affecting these people. And so the dissonance of her being the being somebody who's receiving something like that and also being the one to initiate and cause that it's this weird moment of like dissonance where she can't really recognize it and she looks at them and they're like hey what the fuck like can you not do that and she's like doesn't say anything kind of looks away and they're like excuse me and she's like doesn't say anything and (laughs) it's this really awkward moment where it's like Oh, she is also capable of this. This is like a human thing. Not, again, not as a way to excuse his behavior. Right. But it's a really interesting way to at least broach the topic of like the possibility that we all carry a similar behavior within us. That our actions, whether cognizant or otherwise, can and do affect those around us, both positively and negatively, even if we can't see it. It's still happening no matter what, all the time, always. And it's like... That is sick. That's so and cool. And also, like, how harm is cyclical, right? Like, how, or like, you know, and infectious too, right? Yeah. Like, her husband is an asshole to her, which causes her to overthink things and not think about other people, which then harms other people, which then, yeah. like, it's it's this chain and this never ending cycle. And, yeah. And that's all in this film being perpetuated it's, by toxic masculinity. Yes. And I don't want to, like, equate, granted, like, her emotionally abusive and shitty relationship with a singular moment where a bar taps somebody on a helmeted head <laughs> like <laughs> it's they're very different they're very different but sure. in a narrative it's very clear that this is happening for a reason and that's the the connect 
Um, I want to pivot to Charlotte because I feel yes. like she is perfect as the one outlier in the system, like you were saying, the system of expectation, the system of like cis hetero parenthood, the system of like um, capitalism and work and fronts and performance and, 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 and performative like performative heroism and goodness. Like she's the one person who's like that. Fuck that. That's fake. I'm happy. And if my husband's happy, I love that. And if my kids are happy, great. They're people. They have their lives. Why should I care? If they're taken care of, that's all I need to do. The way that she lives her life is so cool. And she's just such a strong character that like when Ebba is just having her her me day and she's having like this moment where she needs validation, right? She needs some validation. She needs to know that the choices that she's made in her life that have brought her here to this moment, that she's fulfilled, that that she made the right choices, right? Because she sees Charlotte over here who has a husband, who has children, who's polyamorous and just like goes to the uh, the French Alps to bang a bunch of dudes. Uh, yeah. Well, be, and that's fine, Right. Like, and she's cool with that, her husband and all that. It, like, it, it's consensual. It's cool. It's fine. She's like, why? Like, also, I don't need to tell that. Why? Why? It's fine. Like, I yeah. live my life how I want. I make myself happy. That's my whole thing. And Ebba in this moment is kind of like asking her about how that works in that relationship. And Charlotte, who does not have to do any of this work, right? It's just kind of like, I mean, it just does. Like, this is just my life and it's great and I love it. There's other people that are important in my life, like, not just my my kids and my husband, like, what do you think? And Ebba is trying to be like, yeah, but you're not fulfilled, right? Your life is a little bit less meaningful than mine, right? Like in the way that she's like accosting her with these questions. And Charlotte, who thought she was kind of like educating or demystifying like her way of life a little bit for her is like clearly the most emotionally aware person in this whole thing. And it's just like, you know what? This is inappropriate. We are not going to do this anymore. We can hang out and let's change the subject. But what's happening right now is not okay. In the movie, does she say she's like polyamorous explicitly? Because um, I, I think, don't think she's, she does. I don't because I don't think she's like going on like romantic liaisons. I think she's really just like I'm on vacation and I'm going to fuck who I want. And like maybe I'll know them. Who knows? Who cares? So I think it's it's more of like an open situation with her. I mean, granted, it's not like explicit, but the vibe is very much like I'm not here to find love. <laughs> I'm here to fuck <laughs> and ski, and sure. then I'm gonna go home. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I is... guess you're you're right. I uh, I did ascribe that to that, and that's a little bit that was incorrect of me. So well, it's totally it's totally possible, but like. You're correct. She seems so dismissive of men. Like, I will, I need you for sex. <laughs> and then when I'm done, I'm going to go have a drink and you're going to leave. <laughs> like, I don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah. Her character is so just like, she's so fucking cool. She's, like you said from the beginning, she's the only one who's living outside of this expectation. She does not care how she's judged or seen. She recognizes herself autonomously as an individual person and seeks out for herself in the short short life the happiness she deserves i think that that's incredible because ultimately the way she breaks it down too is like my kids obviously they're cared for i make sure when i go on this trip they're fine my husband similarly he's with them probably and i get to do this and he gets to go on his trips too and i hope he has an amazing time and meets amazing people um we'll make sure that these kids get raised and why am i going to sacrifice my life for this like, mm -hmm. I should still be able to live. And also, I'm not defined 
by these other people. Of course, they're a part of my life. Of course, they matter. But I'm still, I'm not going to sacrifice my own personal identity for any of these particular expectations, especially as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. There's an expectation of her to to exist and kind of disappear under the under the the costume of motherhood like right. in that case oftentimes she no longer exists she's just a mom that's it and she she loses her identity in that way and charlotte's like fuck that never why would i ever do that absolutely not she's you a mom or she's a wife those are those she's, are her two things and we don't know anything about ebba uh, outside of those two roles that she inhabits and her the way she pushes back on that too because she inhabits that role and she knows that those, those are the two big things in her life and when she's seeing somebody who rebukes that and says that's not for me and i can do both she's like no but that means that you're less than me because i'm willing to sacrifice my identity for this and she's like why mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally why because society told you to do that unfortunately yeah they do but you can make the choice to get out of it. And I think it's this, like, I mean, for Ebba, it's this reckoning of of performance of, like, of a front where, like, she obviously desires more. She wants, I mean, first and foremost, she wants a partner who, like, it doesn't make her feel like shit. Like, right. <laughs> actively gaslights her. And so in all of this, there is that, like, it's sort of a glimmer of what if that she's starting to see under this guise of, like, pain and and it's pain of lashing out again where it's like, no, 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 but like we're a unit and we're this and we're that. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, no, that's not a choice. That wasn't a choice. Like, you know what I mean? It's this moment of like pain and she's lashing out and you just see her realize that like, fuck, it is a choice to some degree still. And she's right. But like, because again, not to say that one thing is better than the other because I think that they're both equally valid things. But Ebba... It's very clear that she thought there was no choice. Right. And it's really interesting, too, because in the same way that her husband is a prisoner of toxic masculinity, she is like we see her inhabit this kind of toxic behavior where she is like so hell bent on seeing herself as this kind of like righteous matriarch that gives up her life for this and needs she in the same way that her husband needs to be seen as a man she needs to be seen as a sacrificial mother who's doing the right thing and we see not only the the harm that toxic masculinity causes and patriarchy causes it's yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's interesting really... because going back to what you were saying about like you know that moment where she pulls the bar down and unintentionally knocks somebody's head and they're like hey what she's doing that f- like head on here in this scene and you see that like no, like you made choices. These are choices. You can choose something different tomorrow. And what does she do in the end? The husband is still the husband and he is still the shining beacon of the family and nothing fucking changes. Nothing changes. And I do think you bringing up the fact that Charlotte stays on the bus, obviously the bus is unsafe. Obviously she's looking out for her kids because there's a possibility that this bus could fall off this cliff. But in that moment, she makes a choice to be the mother, to be that person. When everything in her wants to just do whatever, she's like, no, we have to get off the bus. I'm panicking. I can't hurt my kids. And so seeing that sort of spring into action and that sort of catalyst for everyone else who's like, yeah, fuck this. We have families too and blah, blah, blah. It is the 
instinctual and sort of like passive decision of complacency obviously it's like a different dynamic because of the danger aspect but there is a level of like that like no i have to do this like we just have to like do this and we have to just get off and like that's what we're doing and everyone follows suit you see these people that like have long sleeve shirts on that are not equipped for the snow and the extreme cold and everything because they were in this bus and they didn't think to grab uh they didn't grab any of their luggage when they left which Sure, they might have died going down on that bus, right? But they might die. They they might very well die a slow, painful death and have to watch everybody around them die as they walk down the mountain. Like, because they're walking down a fucking mountain with with just long sleeved shirts, a snowy ass mountain. And that's the that's such an. They might get hit by a car, like on its way up or down. Yeah, it's the most interesting way to end this because truly, at the end of the day, both are dangerous and both are scary and both are unknown, right? There's this unknown aspect of like, what if we die in the bus? What if we die outside? Like, that is just like a general metaphor for life. Like, what if you could die tomorrow? Nothing matters. Nothing is real. But what is real are the choices you make and the recognition of how that affects other people and the recognition that you exist as an individual autonomous person, assuming and obviously outside of the context of sort of like hierarchical privileges and systemic privileges and and all of that stuff because that's a whole different conversation if we're looking base level here these characters are all within the same means and the same privilege level this recognition of choice is so interesting because both are like it's one is leaning into the expectation of gender normativity and heteronormativity and the other is like no, I'm not going to fucking do that. <laughs> right. It's perfect. Jess, it's so good. This film is perfect. Like, it's I, I can't it's find really anything. Good. I think the only thing that I didn't like was the spot for the toilet in the in the room where when... Uh, oh, it's right behind? In the bathroom. Yeah, it's right behind. And yeah. I, like, that was weird. But... Um, I think that's it (laughs) like because this movie I I think was really perfect and like even like it's also the type of movie that I could watch it three more times and get something different out of it every single time you could write a dissertation on this movie because it's not only well written it's well crafted it's poignant it's saying so many things about um, cyclical behavior and about masculinity and like gender norms and it is fucking incredible it is so perfect please go watch this movie everybody holy shit what a treat it's really good i do want to bring up one more character real quick just briefly the janitor as this like onlooker sort of voyeur of of this because he sort of his character gives off the impression that like this is such a common thing like this yeah. performance and this dismantling of relationships and this acknowledgement is such a common thing in this space to the point where like they're crying and they're like, oh, we have a get like he can't watch us. And he's just like so unenthused, like could not have been less <laughs> interested. Like, do you think this is original? Do you think I'm like, wow, what's going to happen next? I've seen this. What do you need? Yeah. And I think that that's like a really interesting way to sort of illustrate the idea that like, yeah, none of this is unique. Nobody's unique. This whole like in this in their minds, these characters, this is the most devastating, the most like uh, cataclysmic weekend. But in the grand scheme of things, it is the most inconsequential nothingness and the most boring, ununique thing to happen. 
because of that character. That's what this character is doing. And I think it's so cool. And that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, no, 100%. He's great. <laughs> Billy, Pete, and their two children are vacationing in the French Alps, enjoying some skiing and the much-needed time away from real life. Unfortunately, things quickly take a turn for the worse when an avalanche crashes into the outdoor restaurant while they are waiting to order food. During the commotion, Billy stays with her children to try to protect them while Pete grabs his cell phone and runs away without considering his family's safety. Luckily, the restaurant was only covered in avalanche smoke, quote-unquote, and everyone is okay. Though the moment passed quickly, the terrifying experience looms over the family's vacation for the rest of the trip as Billy and Pete find themselves at an impasse with Billy insisting Pete left her and their children to save himself and Pete adamant that he did not leave them. The friction between Pete and Billy becomes more prominent as Billy continually brings the event up in social situations, recounting the events, searching for someone to validate her experience, while Pete continues to deny the truth of the events even after his own children cooperate their mother's story. Billy and Pete take time away from each other and their children to clear their heads. Billy takes private ski lessons from Guglielmo and gets a boost of self-esteem. Meanwhile, Tomas goes skiing with his friend Zach, gives himself a concussion, gets drunk, and tries to prove his manhood at a real sausage fest. Eventually, Pete confesses and breaks down hard. Then, while skiing the next day, Billy pretends to be in a bad situation so Pete can save her and redeem himself in their children's eyes. In the end, nothing has changed and everything stays the same. First and foremost... I do want to, off the bat, acknowledge my love, admiration, and respect for Julie Louis-Dreyfus's full-fledged face acting in this film. I think it is award-worthy. I think it's impeccable. I think she is she carries this movie. Without her, this movie doesn't exist. Um, yeah, flawless performance by her. I think she's amazing. Story-wise, biggest, biggest, biggest issue the reframing of her want and her her problem in this story is framed as like a nuisance to how we're now viewing it, which is through the lens of like the man, the dad, the male character. This is suddenly a story about like longing and what if my life was different and what if I changed things, which is like, that's not what this movie's about. It tries to humanize him in a way where we feel less bad that he runs away, which kind of pulls focus from the intent of what the story is supposed to do, which is more of a character study about masculinity. And by doing that, they are sort of giving allowances to the idea of being that toxic man and saying like, well, no, it's, it's like, okay. Cause she's kind of, she's kind of a screechy woman, right? Like she's kind of a, like a bad person she's kind like, of a complainer right like she she's a lawyer and she was gonna sue them for the avalanche that happened which then her husband's like oh my gosh wait there were okay. signs posted and i was like fuck you so so fuck and that's you. the thing is is they make her because by softening him and heightening her they make us in a misogynist Invite like a like in 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 a patriarchal society. There's already a hatred for women base level. People hate women. Misogyny reigns supreme. So by making her this character, you're perpetuating that idea that like, oh, well, she's also a problem too because she's loud and and obnoxious and kind of an asshole to her husband. When in fact, no, this husband is the most cowardice 
like bad partner, selfish, entitled piece of shit. He's a bad dad. He's a bad partner. He's so not supportive. And that lack of any sort of opinion, that lack of any sort of of resilience, he then sees as like, well, I'm the the victim. I'm the one who's like, whatever. And that's not necessarily an interesting study because that is just, it just is like it just it it takes this gross misogynistic turn and i i think that's the worst part of this is that it's reframed in such a like a a narrow-minded and american way and it just reeks it's not a commentary on uh gender norms or uh, no. masculinity or anything like it was in the first one um and again they took out 30 fucking minutes of screen time for I, I, it really could have used that extra 30 minutes. But yeah, they just made her kind of the bad guy, which like was really apparent in scenes like the helicopter scene where, okay, so Pete this whole time, his dad died. And so he's feeling like my dad never went anywhere and did anything. I should go places and do stuff. And we see him do nothing but think about himself. Instead of staying at the family friendly resort, that his kids would have loved. They stayed at the posh, like, singles club. And there's just all these moments where, like, all he does is think of himself, and it's, like, absolutely apparent. But, like, the helicopter scene, he's going to take his family skiing from a helicopter, and he paid, like, two grand for this, right? And they wake up late because he was on his phone all night looking at Zach's photos, his, his work friend. And he's just like, Oh my gosh, what if I was Zach? Oh my gosh. Like this is the life that I want. And he was doing exactly what his dad did, which his dad was a travel agent for 30 years that never left his city basically. So he was like, so he's doing that same thing. So by being on his phone all night, this alarm didn't go off, right? And so they're already late for this thing. They want breakfast, but dad's like, no, 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 we got to go. They go. They can't find the mitten or the glove. And then dad's like, no, we have to go. And then there's like a, a whole conversation. But it's framed as if this is an issue only because of Billy, only because she wants food and she can't find the glove and she can't do any of this. And dad just wants to, like, they probably, like, he's not thinking about his family. He's like, they probably have a glove on the on the helicopter. What the fuck are you talking about? There's no glove on the helicopter. There's nothing there. Like, he does not care about his family. He just wants to be untethered. And it is so apparent. And yeah, in that scene, she's 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 the bad guy. She's she's the one that we're like, man, she sucks. And then it's like, oh, look, the uh, the glove was under the car the whole time. If only somebody would have actually looked right. And so it's also like vilifying the kids in that way, too, being like his wife and his children are holding him back from having this kind of life. And they're awful to him, which was so boring and i really didn't like it and um then at the very end it comes out that the kids fucking hate skiing he never even asked anybody what they wanted he just decided like okay cool we're going skiing because my dad said every day is all you have and i'm like okay but what about everybody else so when he takes the phone you know that that's what he's going to do in that avalanche right you absolutely know he he doesn't have any relationship with the kids like 
all of the 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 nuance that was in the first film is completely gone from this one because yeah. it felt like they dumped it down for an American audience where they had to explicitly show that he took the phone when he left. They had to explicitly show like everything that they wanted you to know because otherwise we wouldn't get it. And they also had to explicitly make this a male-centered story of like longing and hopes and like, well, my dad wasn't there for me and like, that's not the point of this. Like, even with that perspective, when we're trying to like, wow, they're kind of holding him back. Like he, whatever. And like, oh, it's such an intense, like, wow, like what a, what a no win situation. I'm like, no, he's the bad guy. Like he's a bad person. He's a bad, selfish man. Like he's never considered his family once in his life. And now it's like the first time he's actually trying to. And it's really just him trying to, I don't know, like, is this like a grief trip? Is he trying to grieve the loss of his father in a way that is like, I'm going to live for today because this was this motto that this guy said, but at the expense of his family, like putting them in danger, doing things that like they don't want to do when they go to the, when they finally go to the kid's place, they go down that like track and he's like bumping his son. And the son's like, I don't want to go that fast. He's like, oh, come on, be a man. Don't be like a little baby. Like, let's go. And it's. It's like just disgusting. It's not cute. It's not funny. It's like, what an asshole. What a dumb asshole. And the way And he that... also recenters the conversation on himself every fucking time. Every like, time. They're talking about something completely different. And he is just such an awful manipulator, gross person that thinks the entire world revolves around him. So he will just interrupt a conversation and fucking derail it like when they are having dinner with Charlotte, right? And then... I just literally, every time he does it though, her face, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's face, like he'll just do something. She's like, what? Like it's it's the most, in, like she is aghast every time. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like it's always like, what? Who are you? What are you doing? But she doesn't say it. She doesn't say anything to him. So in that way, she's also allowing him to continue that behavior and like enabling that because she's just like, she never actually says what she wants to say to fucking anybody except for Guglielmo when she says, I would fuck you right through that wall if I wanted to. Like, make no mistake. That's the only time that that she does. I wish that she was a little bit more forth. I mean, granted, I do think that she's like in kind of an impossible situation a little bit where like she's having to deal with three children, like two of which actually like her and listen to her and she listens too. the other one is this grown ass adult who she's trying to like tiptoe around the, the, the notion that like he's probably grieving. This is a new thing. So she's trying to be a good partner, but she's also expecting like you need to show up for me, too. And when that isn't met, like in that first conversation when they're having dinner, Charlotte and this other guy are looking away and she looks to him and mouths the word, let's go, like, let's leave. And he like, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he like nods and then immediately starts into like a long conversation. And she's like, what? (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And it's the most like, to me, that kind of thing is the most, uh, I'm going to say this word. It might sound severe. It's the most repugnant behavior of a partner like this blatant disrespect, this blatant belittling and blatant, complete disregard, like a complete lack of consideration for this person that feels like, like, I would never like with Eric, like, oh, my God, if I did that, 
whoa, I like if that ever happened to me as a partner, I'd be like, okay, I guess I'm not here. Like, great. Like, I guess yeah. I don't exist. Like, I need a partner who can like be supportive. Like, these people literally like. And here's the situation too. In this situation. These people are strangers. They mean nothing. This one person you met two seconds ago, the other person you met yesterday, they are strangers. I'm asking like, hey, this is our vacation. Can we just go? And it made me so mad. Like, I was so uncomfortably mad when he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Story. I'm like, what a fucking dick. And I hate that this is like, because this family is kind of portrayed as the every American family like this is just how it is and this is just how the family works and this is how the dining like saying that this is the norm without critiquing it or without having anything interesting to say about it because I see this and it's fucking awful and it's fucking gross and I don't love when they paint like these uh when they're just doing the smallest amount of character work and of consideration when building these like family units that are supposed to like, I mean, look, it sucks to be a kid in that situation. It fucking sucks. And it fucking sucks to like not be thought about and to be going a little bit slower because you're afraid that you're going to die, you know, and to not have anybody around you care about that kind of stuff, but it's played for laughs here. And that's supposed to be funny. And so for me, that was the hardest thing about watching this was I hate that the American family in terms of like this representation and a lot of representations in Hollywood are just kind of there to be bullies. And there's just so much bullying that it doesn't allow for growth. It It's just really boring and tired and I hate it. Same. It's the reiterative toxic humor aspect of like, well, everything sucks. And like, oh, whatever. Let's like the casual meanness to each other. It's one of the things that Eric and I have talked about, like specifically when we see like gay characters too, like like Modern Family. We mentioned Cam as a couple. It's like, sure. But also they're like mean to each other 80 percent of the time. Why like, are they fucking con- mean to each other? I know. It's like constant belittling any- and put down and put down and put down. And then like, I love you. I love you, too. But you're kind of fat and you're kind of a bitch. Do you guys like each other? <laughs> are you friends? That's like kind of important. Do you actually like each other? Because then if not, why are you together? You can leave. Like anybody can leave at any time. There shouldn't be a reason for like a breakup. The, the reason for a breakup could be like it just isn't working anymore. No one's at fault, but like we've grown apart or we just things are different now. That should be reason enough. So in a lot of these like things were like, well, I'm stuck with him. I mean, not really. Like, no, truly, you have a like, choice. Going back to everything the, is a choice. Everything is a choice. And so that's why I'm like going back to this story where I'm like, Will Ferrell, or this character, if you're really that unhappy and you feel like you're being held back, leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, not not to be like, ditch your family, but like, if you are willing to put your family in danger for the sake of it, the safest choice is to then just leave and go do it yourself and deal with the repercussions of, you know, managing a divorce and like finding time to be with your kids and like raise them or like have that conversation with your partner. You have kids. It's a different story. But if you're going to make that choice, make the safer option which is just get a divorce like just break up like it's really not that hard and it's gonna suck but like you're not happy and you don't like her you treat her like shit you treat her like she's nobody you don't consider her she's not a she's not a considered part of your life you should bounce then like but then he knows that he can't do any better right because nobody wants him because he's just an old sad man yeah and and it also bothers me like because rosie is also written really badly 
the girlfriend yes. of Zach, where she is adventurous and she's out, but like she seems overbearing just because she's adventurous, right? And Zach is like somebody that's like just a little sheep. He doesn't really have a personality. He just kind of like will follow whoever is around at the time, right? And so it's Rosie and Rosie's like, and he's like, oh, cool. Like we're going to go. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but like, cool. You're going to go explore the world. I'll go explore the world. That sounds really fun. Yeah, let's do that. We don't have any plans. Cool. Let's, let's do that. But it's all like, uh, oh my God, hashtags are so bad. Oh my God, hashtags. And you're like, okay, fine. And then like when they're on the lift, like uh, Rosie is having this conversation with Jane, with Jamie, with uh, <laughs> with I, I, I love this. I love this scene. This scene is genuinely really funny to me. Because like Rosie is like, uh, is like, look, you don't have anything to apologize for the other night. Um, what he did was fucked up. You have a right to be angry, right? Which absolutely, yes, yes, yes. But then it is like turned into everything is black and white. Wait, well, what? The, everything the... everything is this and everything is this and it's like uh, how old are you? 30. And I'm like, okay, like so her her sincerity and her words aren't supposed to be taken. Like and I know that this is supposed to be a comedy, but I feel like that was that her character as a whole trying to be that fanny character, that support was just completely lost and yeah. horribly written. But that's also the thing is like the punchline being like, wait, how old are you? 30. Oh, well, you just don't get it then. When and in I'm my like, head, I'm like, hey, queen, you're hey. the one with the shitty husband and a really bad position. So it has nothing to do with age. Like, I mean, I think the, her delivery of like, yeah, if he ever did that to me, I'd fucking kick him in the balls and run away. And it's like, yeah, yeah. well, it's not that black and white. It's like, <laughs> mm, no, in this situation it is. If he ever did that, fuck him. I'm out. And she's like, well, it's not. No, it's black and white. But it, it and it's played like <laughs> Rosie is the one that's in the wrong, right? When she's it absolutely is. in the right, she's a hundred percent in the right. But that's why I love it because she's so it's like so earnest, and the way that they pit back and forth of the like, no, 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 it's pretty easy. Like, no, it's actually really good. Like, no, 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 it's like very simple. Like that pitter patter is great. I mean, granted, the the punch of like the joke at the end, I think it's it's silly because it also doesn't play into what is actually happening. We're like well, you just don't know my family, but it's like, Queen, do you know your family? Like, you're the one in the position of, of of all of this strife. Like, you're the one. She's telling you something very earnest and very real. And, I mean, you should listen to her. Like, and To me, the way that that was written or the way that it landed was like, oh, don't take her seriously. You still, like, yeah. because this is ultimately a story about Pete and his redemption, right? And so, like, the way that it is written is... Rosie is wrong. Rosie doesn't know what she's talking about. She's way too young. And you just need to stay and you just need to do this. And you need like it reinforces that staying with Pete is the right decision because she's young and she doesn't know anything, which is so that was also so funny to me because like she's 30 years old. Clearly, she has her stuff together. She has been on her own since she was like, you know, since she left her parents' house, she was 18 or whatever. But she is living her best life, doing what she wants to do. And that's great. Good for her. Just because you are like 10 years older than her and fucking hate your life doesn't mean that you need to like diminish hers. Yeah, you know what I mean? Truly. And I think that that's like, it's an interesting take just in terms of like, even though she recognizes that he sucks and the situation is so bad and she hates it, she hates her life or hates him. Like she just, she's in a predicament. Even then, at the sort of in the same way that like Ebba has this reaction to 
Charlotte in the first one where she recognizes her life is bad, but she still has that that emotional like, well, well, what I'm doing is better because I've lived it and I'm a mother. It's like the same as in this case. She's like, well, I'm older, so I know more and you don't know what you're talking about because I'm older. And it's it's that mm-hmm. like childish, reactive, uh, just like instantaneous. Uh, what is the word? It's like I a get what you're saying. Defense. But I, I think... it's, it's, it's a defensiveness that she has for her family, even though there's right. a recognition of it. The writing, I 100% agree with you. It doesn't work in this. Like, I like her character and I like that pitter patter. I do think it's funny, but it just doesn't it doesn't play into what the movie's trying to say itself. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I, I just it, it felt like just you were supposed to laugh at the wrong person in this instance, you know, yeah. or like at least in the in the original when you're talking to Charlotte, like, you know that she has the power, you know that she's like she knows who she is and what she wants. And in this one, um, Rosie is kind of the way that she is perceived by all the other characters is she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know what she wants. What does, what does she know? She doesn't know anything is kind yeah. of how that character is, is played. Um, so I don't think that that conversation works as well. Speaking of Charlotte, though, the actor is very fun because uh, mostly I, I know them from Sabrina. Oh, yeah. She plays uh, Aunt Zelda and mm-hmm. uh, she's like such a bitch in that role. It's 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 fun. But, like, her outfit's incredible. Um, yeah. Her vibe was great. Like, I was just talking about your dick. Like, she, like, literally tells that to the She's, dude. And I was like, oh great. Oh, my God. Incredible. Well, that, the, the line at the dinner when it's like, oh, he shows up. And it's like, oh, what were you saying? And they're like, oh, she was just yeah. saying, like, she she likes you. She, think, she thinks you're, like, really cool. And, like, whatever. And then she just turns to him. She's like, I was saying that I can catch a dick whenever I like. <laughs> and they're like. And, oh, Oh, and it's just, hey. she, she ends up like pawning it off. as like, I'm kidding. Ha ha ha. But the line uh, uh, to catch a dick whenever I like, it's just so like obsessed. She's, yeah. I think this, this version of this character, I like her considerably less because she's played as a caricature. Yes. She's played as not real. She's played as like, they're equating like sluttiness with like weakness and like, stupidity in a way that feels misogynistic like in this one whereas the first mm-hmm. one it's very clear that like no she's like i'm gonna sleep with whoever i want i am in control and that has nothing to do with anybody but me and my choice and mm-hmm. it's so well written and it's so well like it's so well described and so well represented whereas in this one it's just like i'm a slut i'm gonna do whatever does my this husband one know was i don't care and you're like what by a straight monogamous yes. person yes <laughs> um it's- it's very, it's very, ugh. The conversation that they have does not work at all because they do have that conversation for a second when they're going up the lift where she is like, let's talk about sex right here, right? And Jamie does the, oh my God, oh my God, like her her great eye work again. But um, then basically all she says is, I do what I want. I fucking masturbate. Um, oh my gosh, our special parts touch. Look at our hands are touching now. Like, do I need to tell my husband about this? But like, it feels like such an unnuanced take on that character. Like you're saying, it's, it's, it's very much a caricature <laughs> that is like, um, that works to just like kind of dehumanizes it a bit or not dehumanize. It's well, the wrong word. It works to diminish what the character diminish, is intending was, to do, yeah, right? You. Like that, the, the the allegory of, well, our hands touch. Should we tell our husbands that our hands touch? You know that that is like 
you know that that is not the correct argument. You know that that's a conflation of the two. Like, it's not the same. There's there's a difference between sexual intimacy and a handshake. You know this. We all know this. I don't know why this character who is so open about this is using this specific metaphor to try to relay this information. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel real because it's also, it's not a good argument and it's not a good way to show that. It feels a little bit like manipulative, like, oh, what? Like the performance of like, are you going to go tell your husband that we touched? Like, what is this weird, like... What is this about? What are you saying? Yeah, it feels, it honestly feels like this childish slut shamey way. Like, it's, it feels, it feels inauthentic. Yeah. Again, caricature-ish. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of how everybody feels in this. They feel so much less fleshed out. They don't feel real. They don't feel, uh, the situation doesn't feel real. The the yeah. whole, this whole world just feels like... It just feels bad. It feels bad. I will say a couple of the things that I did like uh, that are additions to this, the overcompensation fatherhood scene where the next time we see him, he like makes a big stink about the guy who's going to crush the kid in that shelving system. Mm, Like mm -hmm. he's like, he makes this big thing like he was going to crush him. I'm watching out for his safety. I think that that is like a really good scene to add to this as a way for the character to like like we're seeing an overcompensation performance like we're Mm -hmm. seeing him now trying to perform father and protector and nurturer in this super inauthentic way and we see billy like kind of looking at him like what are you doing like what is this about like what and he's like he was gonna smash him and then he she looks over like is it and he's like i don't know and she's like oh okay like sure i guess like i think oh you were there yeah yeah, it's. I think it's such like a, it's such a cool, I, to me, I think it's a really great addition. Granted, it doesn't work because the movie is a little wonky, especially by comparison to the first one or to the to the original. But I do think that it's a really interesting take on like that performance in such a like overt way. I liked it. I like that scene at least. Yeah. I mean, the addition of that scene was good, but everything else I think was just awful and bad in yeah. this movie. And I fucking, okay. I, I want to talk about the end because I really hated that Billy decided that she was going to call for her husband to come and carry her down the mountain so that way like he could be redeemed in the kid's eyes. And she's like, I'm going to do this for you, which she doesn't fucking have to. She says something like, but like you need to change how I look at you. But what she's doing in that moment is just perpetuating like uh, she's she's like lying to her children she's gaslighting her kids with her husband for this false narrative of like i mean their dad's not a good guy why would you try to make them think their dad is a good guy when he's not like you're just doing this for his ego and that's at the detriment of your children like this helps nobody yes break up like just break up honestly break up like i don't know why you're like redeem him in the eyes of the kids no why are you trying to convince them that he's good? Again, he's not good. And he keeps proving time and time again, he does not mean well and he does not intend to change. We've seen that. We are clear in establishing that. Why are you giving him this chance in this like faux heroic sort of like tat-a-tat of, of, of earnesty and vulnerability where she's like, you need to change how I see you too and you need to change. Like, we don't need that. 
we've already established that he needs to change from fucking day one. This isn't an interesting enough study for this thing to make any sense. Break up. Literally go home and break up. I'm so sorry, but like you hate each other. You will never see this man in a positive light again because rightfully so. He's not a good guy. He is never going to see her as a person. He's never going to see her as a partner. I don't think that there's any way past this, especially after this trip. It's an impasse, a complete total blockade of any sort of growth. So this weird performance feels real nasty and we need to break up. Um, we need to break up. Just like we need to break up with this film. <laughs> yes. Well, the last thing I do want to say, I do love that instead of getting a video of it, she's like, hey, kids, can you come out here and tell me exactly what happened with your dad? Yeah. <laughs> it was, was so rough. rough. I was like, fuck. Like, instead of the video, it's like, hey, kids, um, let's recite exactly what happened the other day. So what did your dad do? Yeah. You need to tell your daddy like, what you think of him. And it's like, <gasps> it was, I mean, granted, that also, like, in a realistic way, toxic. Babe. That is so gross. Do not bring the kids into this. That is nasty. That is manipulative. Yeah. That is, that's, I mean, it's It trauma. was really it's bad. It was an awful it's emotional. Choice. It's emotional abuse. Like, do not put them in the middle of this. This has nothing to do with them. Put them in the room, shut the door. Fuck you for bringing them out. For the sake of comedy, however, whoa. Because that is like, that is the crossing of the line for me. Where it's just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, you're bad. Put him away. What are you doing? Like, this is so Go. bad. Get out of here. Go away. Yeah. Anyways, comedically, especially for this like silly land of bad people, that's wild and funny. Realistically, whoa. Crossing a line, queen. Like, that's way, that's terrible. You're being terrible. Why, yeah. Why would you do that? <laughs> why would you do that? Exactly. But apart from that, I'm honestly good. I don't have anything to say. I'm good too. That's GTFO. So for everybody at home, that means get the fuck out. So we're back from our uh, skeecation. We made it. And we're here. So Eric. Hello. What did you think of Force Majeure? Is that how you say it? I think it's Force Majeure. Majeure. Okay. Whoops. I think. I think so. I what honestly, an American. Oh my God. I, I think it is, but again, Force please do majeure. not. Who was this for? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's for, I'm very, I'm going to be very sincere here. I think it's for men and for masculine people as a point of discussion for exactly like it is the perfect perspective for that because it so eloquently demonstrates and highlights the fragility of masculinity and the performance of masculinity in such a negative way in the way that it shows how it impacts everyone around you and makes you blind to your own action like amazing i think men and masculine people should watch this movie because it really like it's really good and it'll show you like like what a real like tense Ooh, it's just good. That's what I think. What do you think? Oh, yeah, 100%. I don't think I can argue with that. (laughs) Because, like, really, it does, it paints masculinity as this cult 
that like all it does is just harm everybody around it and even and like it's this cult that men play into even when they know that they're wrong and they shelter others even though they know that they're wrong so i think it's a really interesting piece um because of all that i will also say it is for the king (laughs) beyond the wall it's for it's for the guy that played mats i i don't even want to I don't even want to mention that, <laughs> but he's great, and I like him a lot, and uh, he, was great. he was very good in this role, and um, I feel like I've seen Fanny in something else that I really liked her in, too, but I thought she was also great. Yeah. It, this movie I was mean, it was, it was fa- It was well-written, well-acted, well-shot. It, it is such a, like, I saw Downhill first. I could not believe, not, it's not I could not believe, I can believe it, but, like, I was so pleasantly surprised by how good this movie was. I thought it was going to be good, yeah. hopefully, because that's what I'd heard at least. But it was masterful. Like it is a fantastic film. So you like it then? I do like it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's excellent. Again, pleasantly surprised. I'm so pleased that we got to watch it this week. You like it? Yeah, I feel. I feel the same way. Uh, this was a great recommendation, and this was just a real treat to watch. Where you know we yeah. watch. We watched some nostalgic stuff. We watched some stinkers. We watched some. This was this was an absolute treat to watch, and I think that everybody should watch this. And I think you will all have a lovely time with it. Yeah, agreed. What about twenty twenties downhill? Was this new interesting the same? Progressive or regressive? I think it was. It wasn't new or interesting, or the same. I think it was like. It took a very intentional, very interesting critique of masculinity and kind of threw it out the window and then wrapped it with a bow and a little joke. Like it's like I just it didn't it didn't feel earnest. It didn't feel real. I think it was like pretty regressive just in the way that like leaned back onto misogyny and the tropes of like misunderstood men and shrieking women and like. The, the, these nasty just toxic tropes and it leaned on them for the sake of humor and oftentimes that humor kind of just fell flat so like it was aggressive in pretty much every aspect it didn't do what it intended to do at least what it felt like it intended to do and um it's kind of it's a it's a bit of a little slap in the face for like an american audience i feel like the first one is so good and such a dissection of like these intense themes and it's like the American one's like, oh, no, I'm fucking a ski instructor. Like, okay, I don't care. Like, I'm bored. I mean, mm-hmm. to that effect, when I first saw it in theaters, and even this time, <laughs> I still enjoy it. Oh, well, here, what did you think? Was it new, interesting, or the same? Was it progressive or regressive? How do you feel um, about it? I think it was none of those. I think the the skeleton of the story, the beats were very the same. I mean, our intros were almost word for word uh, the exact same thing, right? Because the story is essentially the same, but in taking out the extra 30 minutes, in dumbing down the characters, and really just throwing out the entire theme of the original film, it just felt... It felt like the dollar store version of like something from a luxury brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just so regressive, Everything that I liked about the first one was completely gone. All of the cool character work, everything that it had to say, the characterization, you know, I mean, 
<laughs> when it's made into an American remake, it has to, you know, show the man as like, we, we have to see the film through the eyes of the man, right? We have to, he has to get his redemption at the end, right? Like we can't have him not get his redemption. It's, it's just so apparent that this was made for an American audience. And I think not only was this a slap in the face to American society, but I think it was also a slap in the face to the original film and everybody that worked on that. I would be so pissed if somebody was going to not even just not even to do a like inspired by movie where like you know we're gonna take some of the same things but we're going to turn it into something else like this is the exact same movie but like just a different genre with nothing to say and it's just so regressive yeah who is it for Americans, 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 Americans. It's for an American audience. It's for an audience um, largely and generally who is unwilling to think critically and analyzing the power structures that be, um, specifically American men. Uh, yes. That's that's quite literally who it's for. I think I think that's who it's marketed for, too. I mean, Will Ferrell is the lead, like, American men. <laughs> who do you think it was for? Uh, yeah, I also think it was for American men. <laughs> I mean, it was... It's it's their story, and maybe that's why we didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, I'm sorry, did you like it? I mean, okay, so here's the twist. <gasps> I still like it. Oh. I still, like, I have a lot of issues with it, and I think it is regressive. I think it is all of these things. I think, especially by comparison to the first one, it fails at every turn. Did I still enjoy it? Absolutely. Did I still enjoy it the second time? Absolutely. Did I still enjoy it? watching it immediately after the first one yeah which is strange which is strange because to me i remember seeing in theaters and being like julie louis drive i mean granted julie louis drive is amazing but the story itself was like oh that was an interesting story like wow cool i would love to see the original and i still i still enjoyed it i still like it's it's toxic and messy and generally bad for all of the reasons we've discussed but at the end of the day i cannot in good faith say that i did not enjoy it at every every time i've watched it <laughs> i still enjoy Interesting. it i know i know i know did you like I, it i absolutely did not like it <laughs> um yeah. i would not recommend this movie to anybody yeah. um i i don't like it I would recommend it for Julie Louis Dreyfus alone especially if you like her character in Veep like if you're a fan of that style I feel like give it give it a shot because like you would probably really enjoy her character in this again toxic mess however I mean sure you can you can totally like yeah. that stuff yeah yeah well, cool. We did it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate the the suggestions. Keep them coming. We really, uh, we really love when we get these. It's, yeah, it's what a, a treat. treat. I mean, this is also something that I've been wanting to do. So, like, fantastic. I'm so happy I got to watch that first one. What a what a damn delight. <laughs> Um, don't forget to rate and review us on uh, uh, wherever you get your pods. Wow, I can talk. Um, and follow <laughs> us on social media. We have a letterbox that we have been updating and we are posting little reviews of what we do there and uh, upcoming episodes too. So you'll be able to see that. Um, 
And we are also um, super active on Instagram now. Oh my gosh, look at us. Um, we do polls uh, for upcoming episodes, um, ask for your thoughts and opinions on some movies, and it's pretty cool. We're actually doing it now. Wow, look at us. 2022, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebri. Our editing is by Danny Barkley. And thank you again for listening. And thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jazz. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 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 This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more. Hey everybody, I'm Eric. I'm Shelby. I'm Jake. And we are the band Lousy Advice from the Lousy Advice Podcast. Come listen as we draft artists and genre-centric best-of lists. With the help of our closest friends. These lists are canon. And there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. From misfits to share. Green Day to Gaga. Or Pup to Paramore. Listen to the Lousy Advice Podcast now or else. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Nostalgia Network, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that we are the band Lousy Advice, and this is our podcast, the Lousy Advice Podcast. The Lousy Advice Podcast? The Lousy Advice Podcast. Podcast.